From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is our technical producer. Ryan White is our live stream producer. And be sure to check out my YouTube and Rumble channels, Strange Planet. That way you can watch me on the radio. Coming up in the second hour, skunk apes, little people, and underground bases with journalist Mary Joyce. She's the founder and editor-in-chief at skyshipsovercashiers.com. Uh, a website dedicated to uh, curating stories of high strangeness. Uh, This hour, UFO and paranormal investigator, author Preston Dennett returns to the program, along with special guest Dolly Safran. Uh, Dolly and her incredible story are the subject of Preston's new book, Symmetry, a True UFO Adventure, which chronicles Dolly's lifelong experiences with the greys, grey aliens. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic unexplained encounters. Since then, he's interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He's a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of 29 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. Several of his books have been Amazon UFO bestsellers. His articles have appeared in numerous magazines, including Fate, Atlantis Rising, MUFON UFO Journal, Nexus Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Phenomena Magazine, Mysteries Magazine, Ufologist, and others. His writing has been translated into several different languages, including German, French, Portuguese, Russian, and Icelandic. Preston Dennett, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Richard? Terrific. Thank you. You know, if you continue to write books, it's going to take me an hour just to read your biography. <laughs> I know, I know. I've got to stop. Somebody stop me. I can't no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Keep them coming. Uh, let's uh, say hello to Dolly Saprin has worked... As a limo driver, assistant manager at Wendy's, a zookeeper, a bus driver, a security guard, a nurse, and more, including as a civilian worker for the U.S. Department of the Treasury and also in the Army as an employee for the U.S. Department of Defense. Her UFO contacts began around age one and are still ongoing today. Dolly, welcome to you. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. I'm going to start with you, Dolly, if I could, and I just want you to give us kind of a quick overview uh, of what happened on, uh, well, one evening back in January of 1973 when you were living near the Florida Everglades. Um, I was out with my telescope, and uh, it's about one in the morning. My dad said, go to bed. So I packed down, went in the house, got ready for bed. Uh, I don't sleep a lot, so I was looking out my window and uh, looking up, and Orion was up that night, and uh, I just saw it started to see a hundred lights that I didn't recognize as anything, and they were moving around, and they all paired up. They all went in different directions, east, west, north, and south, 
and I realized that, oh my God, this is my chance. Um, I've been uh, waiting for an opportunity to prove or disprove my insanity or not uh, because of everything that I knew in life, and um, this was it in my mind. I started watching them come down from outer space. They went from white to uh, a golden orange color, and they kept changing colors until they got down over the house. The last color before I saw metallic was blue, bluish, and uh, I saw it swaying and bobbing, and the trees uh, behind the house were moving around wildly, you know? Um, I'm in the shock. I was like, this is perfect. And I start memorizing the craft I'm looking at. I know it's not ours. And I'm thinking, okay, every inch of it, memorize it now. And so I started from the bottom and I worked my way up. When I got to the portholes, I realized that there were two beings looking out at me. I mean, you know, eye to, eye to eye. And it freaked me at that point. And I thought, you know, we're, we're done. And I turned to get away from it. I was going to dive under my bed. And I froze. My whole room exploded in blue-white blue light. I went out. No memory after that. Woke up on my floor about three hours later with nobody's clothes on that I knew. And I uh, could hear my mom in the kitchen. Um, I got a shower, got dressed into my own clothes, went in the kitchen and uh, made coffee for her. She asked me to. Uh, I started trying to ask her questions. You know, Mom, did you guys see lights last night? Did you hear anything weirdness going on? And she turned around, put her finger on my face and said, no, you know, which meant shut up. And I was sitting there at the table, and I actually drank my first cup of coffee ever. I was weirding out. And uh, the radio was on. It was on Paul Harvey. And um, all of a sudden, the news came on. And uh, the first thing out of the guy's mouth was, two Deadland police officers saw UFOs last night and described the whole thing. <laughs> I became extremely hysterical. I was happy. Uh, like, oh, my God, this is confirmation. You know, I've been waiting for this. And my mother whirled on me again and said, get out of the kitchen. She hated me talking about this stuff. My father was walking into the kitchen as I was going out, and he said, you know, get calm. You're fine. It's okay. Go in the bathroom and meditate. Um, I come from a really intelligent bunch of people, and uh, I was already learning to meditate by then. And uh, my dad said, just go meditate. So I took myself in the bathroom, the only private room in the whole bloody house, locked the door, turned the light out, sat on the floor, and went through the recall. I was from the beginning of it all the way through, and I was doing it step by step by step. And suddenly, I was able to recall what happened to me after the light burst. And uh, pretty much a, a, a ribbon, like an energy ribbon, came down through the light, and a being came down the ribbon and uh, took me by the hand, which I wasn't fighting, and took me up. Um, amazingly, uh, I became weightless, you know, and he was taking me up this room. They had the door to the craft open, and uh, they shoved me in. And I, it, that was a little weird because I didn't know what was in that open door. And I <clears throat> hit the deck, you know, and it just went from there. That was a big day. <laughs> There's the understatement of the century. That was a big day. Uh, so your memory, I mean, the details that you just related, Dolly, Listening to Paul Harvey, uh, and people of a certain vintage certainly remember Paul Harvey, and now you know the rest of the story. And having your first cup yeah. of coffee, um, yeah. the way that your mother put her hand, finger on, her, on your forehead, basically telling you to be quiet. Um, I mean, 
it's remarkable because most people who have most people who have an encounter like this uh they're so traumatized they suppress it it's only um they're only able to recover that memory through hypnosis often but not you i mean why you're what you call a conscious contact contactee right why are you different in that regard do you suppose um well back then i i was clueless i didn't know yet um but as i've uh, gotten older and been through many things with them i realized that um they pretty much bred me for this um i am my family is closely watched my father was a contactee and before 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 they know my entire family line and i think that they were um hoping that i would fulfill you know what they were looking for me to do and apparently I did, because I stayed pretty conscious. I have a really good memory. I have an eidetic memory. And uh, I have some other strange things about me. And um, I don't sleep. I sleep two hours a day. Tops. And, even, to uh, this, even to this day, you, you sleep know. two hours a day? Yeah, unless I'm sick. Then I, I go out of my way to try to go down, you know, so I heal. But, no, I only sleep two hours a day, period. That's remarkable. I've so, been that way uh, my entire we'll, life. We'll get into... We'll get into, you know, the, the other experiences in a moment, but I want to bring Teston, Preston Dennett on, onto the program. Again, the author of Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure. Preston, how did you first hear about Dolly's story, and how did, how did the two of you get together? Oh, this is actually really interesting and a bit mind-boggling. Uh, we first, uh, she contacted me in 2016, and Dolly had been thinking about going public for some time because uh, she had mm-hmm. quite a story to tell. She knew it was important and she saw how UFO contact was being largely misrepresented in the media. There's a lot of fear surrounding it. That's not her experience. So she was talking to her ET contacts, the Greys, and t- you know, invite, getting advice from them. Like, I want to go forward. And they said, okay, you know, this is going to be a big deal, but we support you and uh, just go find a good researcher that you can tell your story to. And so she started looking at various researchers and uh, wasn't happy with some of them. And they told her, just keep looking, keep looking, you'll find the person you're looking for. And she wasn't finding them. And they said, well, we want you to look up a gentleman by the name of Preston Bennett. So actually, I was referred by the Greys to Dolly by name which may sound crazy, but you know that's happened to me previously. Is that right? (laughs) Yes, I had a guy from England, same darn thing. The Greys told him, call a gentleman by the name of Preston Bennett, look him up. We want you to talk to him. And this is what they told Dolly. So, boy, that's humbling to me, and really, like, wow, the Greys know me. Dolly, were you familiar with Preston Bennett before you were... um told by the Greys to contact Preston No, Daniel? not at all. I had no idea who he was. Uh, they said that he had YouTube videos and uh, look on there and see if I could find one. And uh, I'm a, I'm a, I like to know everything there is to know. So I went into this playlist and went way back. I wanted to see some of his first videos. And uh, I figured that would tell me um, the beginning of what I think about him, you know. And uh, I got, I caught up with one. He was in a MUFON uh, symposium of some sort, and he was talking about healing, uh, ET healings, and 
I watched the whole thing, and I was stricken by the fact that um, he's very thorough. He's a very precise. He gives. Um, he's very um, capable of repeating details in order, and, and his knowledge base was incredible. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm impressed. And uh, I sent him an email, and he contacted me right away. I mean, right away, like within a day. And I thought, okay. <laughs> and uh, we started... Uh, phoning after that, I guess about a week later, maybe. And uh, next thing I know, it's on. Um, I started trusting him. I started realizing that he he uh, he didn't play games. He didn't embellish on anything I was telling him. He wanted to know the straight facts. He was asking intelligent questions, and so I was quite happy with the fact that they put me on him. You know, um, this was probably since 2016 this happened, so it took a while. You know, and and you just told your basically your it just came up it, it poured out of you and and you put this together in a book in book form, Preston. Is that pretty much how it I, happened? I, about the I was getting a kidney transplant when I met him. I was on dialysis and my uh. husband uh, tried to do away with me, and uh, so it took me about a about eight months, nine months, maybe you know a year to get really comfortable with him. So I only told him the beginning story of my life. Okay, just enough to see how he was going to react to it. I'm very careful. And uh, so he put it in a book on board uh, UFO Encounters. And uh, he, when I read it, I was like, oh, this is good, you know. Mm -hmm. Once I made it past my um, transplant, uh, just sort of went from there. And he started really interviewing me. He was putting me on tape. And uh, it took a long time, you know. And uh, yeah, I realized he that he was ready to hundreds of hours of interviews. Hundreds of hours. <laughs> yes. I mean, we talked and daily for a very long time. Her story is extensive. I'm telling you, Richard, I've interviewed a lot of people, and I can say with confidence that Dolly's story is the most extensive uh, case of, and complicated case of UFO contact I've ever researched and really even read about. I mean, if you may have heard of uh, Jim Sparks. He's got yes. a very extensive case. Betty Andreessen. Uh, but yep. Dolly is... You know, some 60 years of fully, well, not 60, I guess it would be 50 some years of fully conscious contact, or slightly less than that, but, you know, decades and decades of being contacted. It was over 100 times a year, isn't that correct, Dolly? Yes. Easily. You've, yeah. been, you've been taken on board, or you've had contact with the Greys on average 100 times every year since what? You were going back before this encounter in 73, really all the way right back to when you were one years old, is that right? Waking up, um, it began then. Um, I told them I wanted to fly, uh, my training began. So probably about the age of 15 on, it was easily 100 times a year, more in the beginning, because I was training to fly. It took me till I was 19 before I actually went, had my first solo flight. Um, okay, so we'll get into that, that too, but and you, do you remember every single encounter since yes, you were, say, 15? Yes. And it, does it happen, okay, so every every couple of nights, is that why you sleep only two hours a day? <laughs> Pretty much, I think so. I'm, I'm very conscious. Um, uh, when you're psychic, wide open psychic, you really don't need as much sleep, I think, than somebody who isn't. Um, I'm aware of everything all the time. My... My higher consciousness, you know, my astral mind is very linked up with me and I just, it travels around, you know, I'm able to travel around remote view, OBE, that, that sort of thing from a very early age. 
and I think that's why I don't sleep as much. Is that a result of, the, of your interaction with the Greys, or did you? Is that a separate gift that you have, or is it a result of the interaction with the with the aliens? I was born seriously psychic, um, so I think it has more to do with my psychic uh, connection than it does anything else. And is that why they chose you because of your psychic abilities? Yes. Yeah, but this goes. This speaks to why they follow family lines. Because this is something that they've been sort of encouraging in people. So I think it kind of goes both ways. And it's definitely a pattern I see with contactees. As a general rule, they're profoundly psychic and have a wide variety of paranormal experiences. So um, at a certain point, Dolly, they, they, they asked you, is there anything that you, you know, you'd like to learn? And you mentioned... Immediately first, I mean, this would be the first thing I'd say. I want to learn how to fly one of these things. So when did that training begin? Uh, literally right after I was 14 and a half. And um, I had, my memory of my youth started coming back to me. I have a, there's a, a tall gray that is with me all the time. Her name is Mama. And when I'm up with them, Mama is present with me. She is my liaison facilitator she's uh she takes care of me um she helped me to regain what i what i hadn't remembered i started connecting all the dots i mean i i've had memories since i was about 10 months old but they were not cohesive they were dreamlike they were this is how i knew that i needed to be conscious i thought i was crazy for a while i thought oh my god you know what's wrong with me um and that's why i tried so hard to become aware conscious and fought for it. Um, so my memories of my childhood started coming into me and um, I've been trained most of my life by them. I started going to school with them when I was about six years old. They were taking me um, quite a bit and uh, having me go to school and um, they were keeping me with other kids who were like me. They were uh, giving me um, information. They were taking me places and showing me. I mean, it was just a full on education by them. Um, I needed to know a lot for whatever I ended up doing with them, and uh, so it began early with me. And uh, how do you fly one of those things? Is it done with the mind? Uh, is there a yes, control panel? Yes. Um, the, um, the ship is alive. It is indwelt by an interdimensional entity who uh, indwells on board the craft and actually becomes one with the craft. It becomes a biological entity in that the craft uh, becomes its body and uh, his body. I'm going to say his. Um, he has a name. Uh, my uh, my flyer is, I nicknamed him. His name is too hard for me to pronounce. His name is Talara, and it's part of his name. It's a little piece of it, so he wants me to get away with calling him that. Um, um, I have I'm psychic as well, and we join psychic force together in an interdimensional um, uh, electromagnetic field that um, lets our consciousness go into it at the same time, and we meld, and uh, we fly together. I pilot, and he runs every other system on the craft. Um, their, their crafts are nothing like you would possibly imagine. Uh, um, Bob Lazar tried to explain it. Um, he did a really good job. Uh, there is no connected wires. There are no 
there are no panels with switches on them. There are no drivable pieces. Although I did, I was given a physical with a uh, pilot before I learned to link, and um, it was very rudimentary, you know, just to give me a taste. Um, before that, other people are given that chance too. Other contactees, when they're brought on board, are asked, "You want to sit in the pilot seat? Do you want to give it a go? You know, you want to try it out? You want to see how it feels?" And uh, there's a reason for that. And uh, they pretty much are looking for us to be brought up and become quite aware and understand what's going on around us right now. And we're trained for certain missions that are coming up in the future. Mm. Where did you go the first time you uh, you took command of the vessel? Where did you go? Um, I went to Saturn. It was very, very cool. Um, he, we went up to the rings. We, well, we, we sat back of them and looked at them, and he took me above them and below them. And then we went around the planet, and uh, we started looking at the moons. And uh, I was learning the topography of the rings. It's really important there for them to know that um, each section of the rings is a different composition. Some are big rocks, some are, you know, some of it's frozen water, some of it's, you know, crystals of ice all joined up together. Um, there's heavy, serious dust, plasma dust in those rings. There's all kinds of things. And there are a few places where you can fly through them without um, hurting yourself, hurting the crowd. Dolly's got to jump in here. Pardon the interruption. Preston Dennett, Dolly Saffron will be back in a moment. Uh, more of our conversation on this remarkable, true UFO adventure. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. And we are back with Preston Dennett and Dolly Saffron talking about her remarkable uh, story, Lifelong Relationship with Grey Aliens. The book is called Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure. And um, this is probably going to sound a little self-indulgent, but... Whatever. I got to ask you because you're in regular contact with Grays, uh, Dolly, and they were the ones who put you on to Preston Dennett, uh, suggested that he write this story for you. Uh, did, did you get, I don't know, uh, approval from the Grays or uh, uh, to, to come on this program tonight? I mean, do they, do, <laughs> do they kind of consult you in all media matters? I'm actually Talata brought you guys up, and I asked Preston if he had contacted you or not, and he didn't know. He, he puts a lot of information out, and so he said he'd check, and uh, I think that was about two weeks ago. So apparently uh, he did get in contact with y'all. And yes, Talata knows who Coast to Coast is, and you. All right. Yeah, well, that's another show. We're going to do Coast to Coast together as well, but um, okay, yes. terrific. They know Coast to Coast. That's So we were talking about... Um, let me just get back to Preston here for a moment. Um, you say this is the most sort of comprehensive, detailed, complex um, subject you've ever dealt with or, or um, contactee that you've ever uh, in encountered. What makes Dolly's story particularly so uh so different compelling than than others and after you know after writing 29 books and speaking to hundreds of witnesses uh give me a few examples of what makes dolly's story so different and compelling preston well there's two main things because i will say much of what she's told me i have heard from other people and i interviewed a gentleman by the name of jay gardner he as a young man was also picked up by the ets and taken to see saturn i've heard this before you know, I've heard 
many people describe how the ships are fully conscious, living beings in and among themselves. What makes Dolly's story different is a few things. One, she's not looking at her experiences through the lens of fear, which is very common among the people I talk to, especially in the beginning stages. Many of them do move past it at some point. And another thing is Dolly it doesn't have the problem of amnesia or missing time, which even among people who are having a lot of contact still does occur. So those are two main things. Uh, much of what she said I've heard piecemeal from other people, but she sort of has a continuous narrative. She's connecting the dots, filling in all the blank spaces, and uh, does have some absolutely unique experiences. And I've talked to people who've been taken to other planets, but Dolly's able to describe this experience in great detail, or being taken onto mother ships and seeing arboretums or animal husbandry centers or healing centers or, you know, uh, hangars filled with craft. All this stuff I've heard before, but Dolly has the detail and she's able to describe it in a way that it's objective and not, you know, fear-based, which is a huge deal. Uh, Dolly, did they take you back to their home planet for your schooling or were you always just on board this this particular craft flying around like our solar system? I went to the Grays, the tall Grays homeworld, yes, to the Orion Cluster. And it's a pretty big planet, and uh, it's in the sweet spot. has less gravity than we do. We're very gravity-heavy here, um, and it's uh, not polluted. And they have trees that are ginormous. I mean, uh, we have some... Uh, I call them skeletal remains of a few trees here that uh, go to that. Um, Dell's Tower was a tree. It's that's the it's like the stump of a tree there. That's how big they are. There's a few more examples in Mexico and around the world, and they were that big. <laughs> they are that big. And um, I had a school. It was like um, a portico that surrounded the tree, and it. It was open to the sky, but it lived over on the sides. And um, when I went, the, build, the building that I was in, in the tree, was mostly only female children. And then there was another tree further down from us that they only did the voice. And um, I went there. Um, I still go there from time to time just to hang out or whatever. They have uh, huge complexes on the ground as well and quarters where you can sleep. And um, they have a huge metropolis of people there uh, living. So, yeah, that is their home world, and that is where I went mostly. I went to a few other places. They would take me uh, on field you know, excursions, field trips, I guess you would think of them as. And I did other things as well. And how long are you missing for uh, on any given um, trip are you are you are you studying on this planet for for days or weeks or months uh, sometimes weeks and um, I think the longest I've been out is probably about a month um, that was flight training and uh, they always bring me back within uh, minutes after I was uh, taken they have the ability to go back um, through time a little bit and bring you to your starting point and leave you off. So there's no... Okay, that, was, that was my next question because when you were living at home with your parents uh, and if you obviously you weren't missing for months as far as they were concerned, 
No. They were still there. So they have this ability to go back in time. Yes, yes. Um, bring us back in time. Um, I'm not visiting. I, I don't. I don't go back to just before I leave. I come back right after I've. I'm gone, so that I'm not running into myself or in what they call dead air. Um, it's complicated. Uh, I can you can interact with the past in that you can see it. It can almost see you. It just depends on how what era you're going into. But you can't really have anything to do with it. You just walk among it. You know, um, the future is way different than that. They can view the future as well. There is no timeline out. There's no space time when they're out and about uh, interdimensionally. It just doesn't exist. So they can pretty much do anything they want. When we hear about, typically, when we hear about contactees or abductees and their encounters with the greys, the greys seem almost robotic, rather um, uh, unemotional, detached, in some cases even cruel, maybe not intentionally so. Um, but what you're describing, Dolly, these greys seem kind uh, spiritually enlightened. Um, are we talking about two different races of greys here? Um, okay, let's begin with this. Um, there's no such thing as uh, multiple races in the universe. We are pretty much all one race. We dime out differently. We DNA differently. But that doesn't make our race different. We're all a uh, human bipedal. We can interbreed with one another. Um, even on our planet, there are no races. We are all human uh, genome. Uh, we just look different. That's a whole nother, you know, your ethnic, okay, your ethnicity from where you uh, grew up on the planet. You know, you either got darker or lighter according to where you were living with the heat or not, okay? So ethnicity, yes, there are multiple ethnicities of grays. There's seven that I know of. Um, and the ones that you think don't have emotions are kind of, you know, stern. They're about three feet tall and they're AI, okay? And uh, they can be uh, autonomous as well as indwelt by another, remotely by another grave for a specific reason. When they're not used, you can stack them up like chairs. <laughs> really? They're not necessary. They are necessary for a very important reason. Space is dangerous. Space is full of gamma radiation. We live on a planet with a magnetosphere. And it protects us from that incoming. It pushes it away from us. But out in space, that's not the story. There's no protection from it. And uh, they would prefer to be on a planet with a magnetosphere, and they do try to do that most of the time. Uh, when they're not, the grays are working, and they do most everything for them. That's why most humans' first contact with them uh, is the AI grays. And, yeah, they, they're autonomous little biological um constructs and and they don't display a lot of emotion they're very matter of fact and do what they got to do and did you they're have initially do you remember having interactions with the ai grays or were you only dealing with the tall grays my first contact were ai grays who i saw in those two ports on that craft were ai grays and uh, that's what threw me, because I don't have a real memory of seeing them up close before that. You know, there wasn't anything in the back of my mind to warn me psychically that, you know, what the hell, okay? And uh, so when I saw them, I was like, mm, not meeting you today. And I started to move away from them. And that didn't end up being what happened, but yeah. And I've gotten to know 
who they are, what they are, and why they are. And uh, they're very, very good at what they do. All right, we have uh, another timeout ahead of us here. We'll come back. Preston, we'll get back to you. Preston Dennett, the author of Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure, which is the uh, the story of Dolly Saffron, a lifelong contactee, a conscious contactee. She remembers everything. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And if you're uh, gathered in the YouTube live chat, just a heads up, next segment we'll, uh, we'll take questions, comments, and my live stream producer, Ryan White, can curate those for me, and he'll send them my way, and then I'll read them over the air for uh, either Dolly or Preston or both. Preston Dennett, the author of Symmetry, a true UFO adventure, his 29th book, and it is the uh, the story, remarkable story, of Dolly Saffron and her lifelong uh, encounters with Greys. Uh, Preston, what's the most important thing you learned from uh, from Dolly regarding this whole UFO uh, ET arena? Um, <laughs> that's a difficult question. I think that she confirmed what I was. The conclusion, the assessment that I'd finally come to, initially when I got involved in this field, I was not a happy camper. I felt like the, the contact experience was very traumatic, and I was wondering if this was good for us. And after years of research and looking very carefully at what happens to people when they are taken on board, I started to come around 180 degrees and realize, well, when people are being physically examined, often they're being healed. And when they don't have a strong fear reaction, their experience is quite different. They are not rendered paralyzed. They do not have their memory suppressed. They're often given a tour of the craft, taken to see the engine room perhaps, taken up to the helm, the control room, told how to fly the craft. Uh, perhaps they're taken to, up to an observation deck. The, the walls will turn transparent and they show them, there's Earth down below, you know, there's the moon, there's another planet, a star field. They will give them spiritual advice, how to heal, how to do astral travel, past life recall, uh, precognition, all these kinds of things. And this is something I heard piecemeal, largely from people. And like Dolly was saying, you know, there's the AI grays and then there's the medium grays and the tall grays who are emotional and loving. And it was confusing to me because I would hear people talk about these little grays running around and being somewhat, you know, unfeeling or not reacting to their emotions. And they usually describe seeing, you know, a taller gray who was sort of, I don't really like the term handler, but their contact, you know, their main person. And uh, often they describe them as being very emotional, loving even. And uh, to hear Dolly describe this in more lucid terms really brought you know, a lot of the things together and confirmed them for me. The yeah. contact experience is good for us. It can be very scary, especially when you're being physically examined, but honestly, Richard, that's the worst I hear. I have no accounts, virtually none, of what I would call sadistic behavior or ETs trying to hurt or scare people. It just doesn't, it's not there. Uh, certainly not in my files. Dolly, when you're on board, a craft uh, or you're on their home planet 
do you see other contactees and do you recognize them when you come back? I mean, uh, I don't know, maybe a neighbor or someone down the street or a police officer who's also been taken aboard. Um, there are a few people who I grew up around that, yes, I know that we're all contactees together. Um, uh, and I see them and I'm still friends with them on uh, social media. And uh, whether they're conscious or cognizant of it is a whole other story. There are a few. Um, my best friend that I grew up with is a contactee as well, and she's not passed away. Um, but her sister remembers everything she ever told her about it. And uh, that pleased me more than you know. It, it, it made me happy to hear that, that she talked about us and our adventures and stuff like that. Um, I've run into two people in my lifetime who I know are contactees but did not recognize me. So there was nothing I could do about it. I just smiled at them and, you know, went through my life after that. Um, I saw one at the zoo that I was at and I saw one uh, working in the school system. Uh, it shocked me and uh, that amazed me. So yeah, I've, I've run into people. I mostly isolate. My life has been very busy, so I don't really do a lot here um, socially or anything like that. I don't see anybody, I don't go anywhere, I don't do anything. So th that's how I live, because I'm too busy well, elsewhere. After all this time, uh, you know, more than 50 years, why, why did you decide to come forward now and tell your story to Preston Dennett? Were, did the Greys kind of direct you in that regard? Now is the time? And if so, why? Yes. Um, they've been um, trying to uh, enlighten and uh, bring people to come be aware of what's happening around them. Uh, we don't live in a world where um, you're, uh, it's not known to you at least they try to make sure you're not known, what's actually happening to our solar system right now, our planets. Um, it is time. It's more than time. I'm almost, I became frantic at one point to say, because everybody I talk to just doesn't seem to get it. And it's like their education is so lacking and so sparse that there's no way for them to get what's going on. And uh, we're all autonomous mm -hmm. beings. ET taught me that. Okay, that's why we have free reign here. That's why they don't interfere in our lives. But we have a situation now. Our planet is in trouble. It is coming rapidly, and they can't make rescue until people wake up enough. So I'm one of the front runners, and there are many of us, I'm telling you, who are talking privately to people, uh, trying to get people to wake up and use their innate abilities to seek the truth, to get away from negativity, to clean their bodies up because we're polluted, and to get ready. Get ready. Oh, we'll ask you for get ready for what when we come back. This was a short segment. Preston Dennett and Dolly Saffron stay with us. Symmetry, a true UFO adventure. Back with more in a moment. Dolly Saffron is with us and uh, Preston Dennett, the author of Symmetry, a true UFO adventure. Before I get back to you, Dolly, and ask you, you know, prepare for what? Uh, Preston, why is it called Symmetry? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. My first title, I wanted to call it Dolly Among the Stars. We ended up calling, calling a chapter uh, with that name. But I asked Dolly, you know, do you have any ideas? You know, what do you want to title the book? It's really your story. And she says, I want to call it Symmetry. I'm like, wow, you know, that's a really interesting choice. Why? And she explained that this was one of the ET lessons that they really pounded into her. 
was very important for her to understand that there's a symmetry to life throughout the universe. And this was a very pronounced lesson. And they took her to these other planets and showed her that life is pretty much the same everywhere. They showed her people who live on other planets, and they look like us with minor differences. But, yeah, there's pine trees, there's, you know, mammals, there's fish, there's birds. There's a symmetry to life throughout the universe, and not only with, you know, life, but energy as well and the structure of our universe. From the macro universe with the solar systems and galaxies to the micro universe, all the way down to an atomic level, there is a symmetry and a pattern to all of this. The humanoid form is pretty much universal. So this was a big lesson, and uh, symmetry is a really good way to wrap that all up in one word. All right, Dolly, before the break, you were saying that they were telling you you need to speak, you need to come out and speak publicly about your experiences because we need to prepare. It's coming. What do we need to prepare for? Um, our solar system, our sun, has uh, some issues. And for the last 280 million years, give or take, uh, because our planet was uh, part of a huge planetoid crash in our universe, uh, Mars was in the sweet seat. Mars was opposing Mars um, around the sun. Uh, we were a little bit more, uh, Earth was gravity light. Mars is a bigger planet, and it was more gravity heavy, and it was loaded with life. And a rogue planet came in. There was another planet in our system. It destroyed that planet completely, sent it straight up to the Kuiper Belt. It burst uh, Mars to the point that it totally burst out its entire outside, um, lost everything in the hit. All its moons took hits, and it is now outgassing, and it has no core. It is now a dead planet. It is cold. Um, Earth uh, wobbles, and it has the inside of the planet hit to the point that we have bulges on the inside of our, you know, underneath the magma. And uh, we have big, huge magma pockets that go in different directions. They're huge. And uh, we wobble as a result, and uh, we tilt. The sun, uh, because of all the dust and the debris from this cataclysmic event, uh, burps every now and then. There's a lot of dust, plasma dust in the universe to begin with, but we're loaded with it, okay? And the sun is taking it on constantly, and it's like every 10,000 years for one one uh, thing that goes on with us, and then about mm -hmm. 6,000 for another. We're, we're uh, experiencing both at the same time right now. We also have a very large electromagnetic current sheet slicing through us from our own galaxy. Uh, so our sun is not a happy camper, and we are about to experience a CME of biblical proportions. Uh, our magnetosphere is down. Our sun changed its pulse about 80 years ago. We have, All the planets in our system are now changing their pulse. I'll give you an example. One that just occurred was Neptune. We just saw that planet develop one hot spot, and the rest of the planet went cold when it changed its pulse, its polarity. Uh, we are about there. And it's getting worse. While this has been occurring, our magnetosphere is down. We're taking heavy loads of gamma radiation here. If you want to know why there's more cancer, why there's more autoimmune disorders, why there's more mental disorders, why our genome is breaking down, that's why. The powers that be on this planet know this. They've known it for quite some time. They've been preparing for it. They've proved it. Um, when we have that CME, it will be X-class, 
and it's going to come through us because we have no magnetosphere to protect us from it as a class X CME and it will send everything on this planet straight back to the Stone Age all the way down to miles deep. Uh, that's a serious situation. Um, ET is not here right now. They bugged out about a year ago, almost a full year ago. The last of them are now gone. They do maintain watching us. They have satellites, uh, and they are able to remote view us and OBE us and stuff like that. But they are physically not here. They can't. They can't fly this. The crashes that you've heard about over time are because our magnetosphere was going down and our electromagnetic currents on this planet would send a craft crashing to the ground. It would just suddenly disappear and it would go down. And an experienced pilot couldn't maintain it. Um, so what, when is the timeline? When is this supposed to happen? Well, the excursion is uh, sped up, and they're really not sure here. Um, ET explains to me what I've learned from them is that we're looking at two and a half to three years from now. Um, the powers that be on this planet have dug down. All those bases that you think are underground are nothing but hide holes for them to go and live underground, and it's all over the planet. Every single 1% uh, of the population that has all the money and all the know-how uh, have planned for this. There's a huge seed depository up in the northern hemisphere. There's all kinds of things already in place for this. Um, most of the people here have been dummied down educationally. They've been lied to. You have tons of negativity coming at you. Your ability to use your innate ability is messed up. Okay. So and are they going to abandon us to uh, and, and allow only the, uh, the 1% of the 1% will survive? And what, what of the rest of us? That's what they're planning. They don't care. What, what do you think is going on right now? I mean, use your cognitive reasoning here. What do you think is happening to the people on this planet right now? Think it through. There is going to be a culling of humanity because they can't take the chance on you fighting them for their underground places because a lot of us already know where they are. This is not a okay, joke. But but the what the ETs are going to sit back and watch this happen, or are they going to come in like the cavalry, or what? What's to be done? Okay, we're autonomous beings. We were put on this planet to evolve. We have been given free reign here. We have always had the ability to make our own decisions. Our consciousness is total and complete all the way around the planet. Every person on this planet can add into their consciousness of everybody else, but they can't right now because you're cut off from it psychically. You're not using your abilities. Um, they want you to wake up so that you can hear the truth. You're going to have to prepare to take the CME, okay? You're going to have to prepare to survive. Once it happens, and I'm telling you that it's going to be a big deal, every single satellite on the planet is going to hit the ground when this happens. Uh, they're already planning, NASA's planning to bring the ISS down in about a year and a half because they're afraid it's going to hit one of their facilities. So they're going to control, drop it into the deepest part of the ocean. Look it up. It's true. Okay, if you sit and critically eyeball everything that's going on across the globe, you will start connecting the dots into truth. For you to understand all of it, you need to learn how to communicate with ET. They cannot help you if you cannot understand them. And that means detox your body, eat the right food, stop eating meat here, it is bad for you. Okay, it will mess you up. Uh, ETs are meat eaters as well. They're omnivorous as we are, but they wouldn't eat this meat if their life depended on it. It's bad. Um, clean up. Use your abilities. Meditate. Learn how to OBE. Learn to connect up to the serious uh, consciousness of the universe. It talks. You could hear it. Once you do that and you work on surviving this, ET will come back after that CME hits. It'll take about six months to a year for that 
for our magnesium to boot back up and be where it belongs, okay? And they can come in then, and they do plan to land everywhere all over this planet, open the doors, and get us to hell out, excuse my French, out of here. Because this isn't all that's going to happen. We have a sun that has been accumulating debris, and it is about to micronova. You saw a micronova in 2019, Beetle, uh, Beetlegeese micronova. They didn't tell you the truth about it, but that's what you were watching happen. Everything on the surface of that sun that accumulated and became heavy exploded like a bomb and went out into their solar system. We're about to have that happen to us. So let me ask you now, Preston, after hearing all of this from Dolly, uh, is there a little bit, maybe a part of you that wishes maybe you hadn't met her and, and didn't hear all of this? Bad news? Potentially bad news? Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm hearing this from other contactees. This is not unique. Many contactees have told me how they have visions of the skies filling with UFOs. Them landing, picking people up. Uh, but I think this is great news for us because we cannot continue on the path we're going down. There's greed and corruption and pollution and war choking our planet. And we're are on the verge of destroying ourselves anyway. So I think this is not doom and gloom at all. This is really good news for us. It might be you know, rough to go through for a little while, but ultimately I think it's gonna be a new age for humanity. But most won't survive. I mean, would you not agree? Most, most will not survive this. Um, well, there's no such will, thing as death for one thing. You realize there's no death, right? You realize that we recycle here. We recycle all over the universe. You are, an, you are a constant, alive entity that has no beginning and no end. You are conscious throughout the universe. And if you do end here, it just means nothing. It just means that you're going to start over again somewhere else and decide what you're going to do with yourself. Those who do survive will be taken to safety. Um, there's an issue with this as well, because it's going to take a long time for this planet once it's that... that um, Micronova happens because our planet's going to flop mm -hmm. over. You know, our uh, um, planet's not going to have about, the same, I've got about 20 you know, seconds here. Um, it's going to take about 30 million years for it to, re to get okay. Um, 30 million? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Listen, I gotta, yeah. we got to run. Um, I'll, I'll okay. be speaking with both of you on uh, Coast to Coast AM in the very near okay. future. So uh, thank you both for this. You're welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, Preston Dennett and uh, Dolly Saffron. Yeah, listen for us on Coast. Uh, we have Mary Joyce coming up next. Don't go away.